Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. They also show us how to think and live, how to prioritize, how to relate to God and other people. So let's get down to business. Let's jump right in. Ten rules for life, an antidote for chaos to keep us on track, to keep us out of a ditch. And the first rule for life is this. Make God the priority. Make God the priority. Now that seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Simple to say, simple to conceive of, difficult to do. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. What are the rules that you live by? Are rules something that you feel help guide you, or do you view them as stumbling blocks that delay you from getting where you want to be? Well, we're so happy that you've joined us today on Grace to Live, as Pastor Keith will begin a brand new teaching series that he has entitled, Ten Rules for Life an antidote to chaos. Pastor Keith will be camped out in the Old Testament book of Exodus as he takes us through 10 rules for living, rules that have been around for centuries but are still very relevant for today. Also, Pastor Keith will show us the importance of our vertical relationship with God and how that affects our horizontal relationship with those around us. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Exodus chapter 20 as we begin this new teaching series. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for this time to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for our study, our new series. Father, help us to look at these commandments anew. Help us to think differently about them so that we might apply them, so that they might serve as a spiritual GPS in our lives, a roadmap to reality, an antidote for chaos. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In January of, ni- of 19, of 2018, the end of January, Jordan B. Peterson published his best-selling work, if you're at all plugged in with the culture, 12 Rules for Life. Almost immediately, it was translated into Mandarin and began being published in China. In February, it sold 14,000 copies in one month, uh, in the month of February in Australia, and Australia isn't known to be a densely populated country. It was translated to German. It was a bestseller in Germany. It was a bestseller in Canada. It was a bestseller in the United States, the United Kingdom, and all over the world. It's been translated into numbers of languages. And it's an interesting title, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote for Chaos. Peterson is a, was a uh, professor of psychology at Harvard University, then the University of Toronto, he was a clinical psychologist. He had a private practice. And this book basically distills his years in academia, his years as a clinician, into basically uh, like 12, 
12 rules for life. What he saw was people who were rudderless, people who were confused, and particularly in the era in which we live right now, we live in one of the most rudderless generations there is. No one's sure about anything. No one's sure what the truth is. No one's sure about the right way to do something, the right way to approach something. And where there is confusion, there's chaos. And chaos isn't a good thing. We have chaos about gender. We have chaos about capital punishment. We have chaos about civility. We have chaos about what's important and what makes up the right sorts of priorities. And so this book really scratched an itch and it was reviewed in a firm by the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Times of London, the only paper, just incidentally, that wouldn't give it out, that didn't even rate it was the New York Times. But that was for other reasons, mostly ideological and political. But this book has just taken the world by storm. Now the good thing is it has some practical rules in it and Peterson as a clinician, as a scientist, when he makes observations and draws conclusions, he gets it right. Now, when he talks about the wise, he gets it wrong because he comes at this as an unbeliever, as a non-Christian, from a secular worldview. And so he's sort of like the baseball great Babe Ruth who when he got in the batter's box, he would knock it out of the park. He held the records for home runs for a long time. And he also held the records for strikeouts. Peterson strikes out quite a bit because of some of his... Uh, philosophical grounding. Here are the rules for life that he gives us. And I find, and they're, they're sort of tongue-in-cheek, but they're also sort of serious too. Stand up straight with your shoulders straight. Treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. Befriend people who want the best for you. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not the useless person you are today. Don't let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Set your house in order before you criticize the world. Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Tell the truth or at least don't lie. Assume the person you are listening to knows something you don't. Be precise in your speech. Don't bother children while they are skateboarding. And my favorite, pet a cat when you encounter one in the street. Now behind each of these rules is, is a pretty interesting explanation. And this book has been translated into so many languages, and there's, there's a lot you can learn from it. But what we want to look to is another book that's been translated into more languages, that's been around for a whole lot longer, and that sold and still sells a lot more copies, and that's the Bible. And so today we begin a study on 10 rules for life, the Ten Commandments, an antidote for chaos. And the author of this book doesn't strike out at all. In fact, every time he gets up there, he hits it out of the park. And that author, of course, is God. And the book we're going to be studying is the Bible. And the piece of the Bible we're going to look at is Exodus 21 through 17. And here we have the Ten Commandments. Now, we've already read the Ten Commandments. And so what I want to do today is to sort of walk you through the sermon titles or, that we're going to cover. Our, our Ten Rules of Life, an Antidote for Chaos, based on the Ten Commandments. And here they are. Number one, make God the priority. Number two, accept no substitutes. Number three, be careful what you say and do. Number four, make time for God. Number five, respect your parents. Number six, respect life. Number seven, respect your spouse. Number eight, respect other people's property. Number nine, respect the truth. And number 10, learn and practice contentment. These 10 rules for life will serve as roadmaps to reality to keep you out of chaotic thinking 
and decision-making that infects and infests our world. It, they will serve as a GPS of sorts, an antidote, a vaccine against chaos because they order your thinking along the right lines according to the will of God. And it's interesting, when you look at these 10 rules for life, the 10 commandments, the first four are about how we relate to God, how we are to relate to God, how God says we're to relate to him. And the next six are about how we relate to one another, how we're to treat other people. Because there are two types of relationships in this world. The vertical relationship with God, and it governs the horizontal relationships with people. And if either of those spheres are out of whack, then both of them are. And so this is sort of the detail behind love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the how-to here. And that's why we call this 10 Rules for Life. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, isn't the Ten Commandments all about don't do this, don't do that, you shall not, you shall not? No, it's much, much more than that. Paul called the Ten Commandments a tutor that shows us our need for the grace of God. A schoolmaster, as it were, that points us to Christ because none of us will keep them perfectly all the time. But as we strive to look at our world through the Ten Commandments, to weigh our decisions in those scales that are the Ten Commandments, these Ten Rules for Life, we'll see that it simplifies our existence. And it really does protect us from the chaos that infests this world because our world is a world of relativistic thinking, of situational ethics, of the end justifies the means, of do what feels right, of do bad things for a good cause. That's the world we live in, but that's not the world that God calls us to live like. We are in the world, but not of the world. And we are not to blend in with the world, but we are to stand out for Jesus Christ. And so we come to the Ten Commandments. And there's a reason why we've gone from the Gospel of John to the Sermon on the Mount to the Nuts and Bolts and now to Ten Rules for Life. There's a reason for all this. This is part of a larger plan. Now let me give you some context for the Ten Commandments. They were given to to the Israelite people after they had been in bondage to slavery in Egypt for 400 or so years. They had come to Egypt during a famine, a good thing, and they had settled there in Goshen, leaving Canaan to come to Egypt, and they had begun to blend in into a, they were supposed to be separate, but they had adapted and adopted many of the Egyptian practices, kind of like people in the church do today with the culture around us. And in Exodus 19, verse 6, which isn't in your, in your notes, but it's in your, your sermon notes, your uh, growth group question, God tells Israel, I'm bringing you here. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I have work for you to do. I have raised you up for such a time as this. The New Testament version for the church is that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them, good works which he prepared beforehand. This is the outgrowth of the Old Testament version of that. And these 10 commandments, these 10 rules for life are just as applicable today as they were in 1446 B.C. when God engraved them on the tablets of stone on Mount Sinai on the plains of Moab. They're just as useful today for you and I. Yes, they remind us that we need Christ, but they also show us how to think and live, how to prioritize, how to relate to God and other people. So let's get down to business. Let's jump right in. Ten rules for life, an antidote for chaos to keep us on track, to keep us out of a ditch. And the first rule for life is this, make God the priority. Make God the priority. Now that seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Simple to say, simple to conceive of, difficult to do. Where do we see this in the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a command. That's why they call it the Ten Commandments. It's a prohibition. 
you shall have no other gods before me. Here's another way you can say it. You shall have no other priorities above me. You shall have no other priorities before me. Because sometimes our priorities become like little gods that really tell us how to think, live, and and, and what to say, think, and do. You shall have no other gods before me. Make God the priority. He must be the overarching governing priority in my life and in your life. Let me give you the context for this passage. It's Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. And it says that God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I told you the story. He rescued them the way he rescued you and I from sin, death, and hell. He brought them... He says, I am the Lord, your God. You see that, your God there? It, mean, it has a double meaning. We like to say, well, yeah, we made him our God. No, no, you didn't. He was your God before that. You may not have recognized it. But he is the God who made you, who created you. He's the God who owns you, who has rights to everything. Everything you have is on loan from him. And he must be your priority. And any priority that gets in between you and him is a bad thing. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out and throw it away from you. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Better to go into into, uh, heaven missing a a member than to go into hell in one piece. You shall have no other priorities before me. Look at this next slide. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. He's reminding them of from whence they came, of the mighty things that he did, the ten plagues, the tremendous rescue, the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the army of Pharaoh. And we need to take stock and think about the destruction of Satan's control over our lives when we came to Christ. We need to remember and rehearse how bad off we were, how clueless we were, how directionless, how ignorant of the grace of God, how chaotic our lives were at times. How confusing. This is the God who brought us out of the house of slavery. Slavery to sin, death, and hell. And what does he say? You shall have no other gods before me. He was their rescuer. He is your rescuer. He was their God. He is your God. When you cry out to him, seven billion people almost in the world, and he hears you. The God of the universe inclines his ear to listen to what you have to say. In Exodus 2, 23 to 24, there's a really poignant passage here, and it's really sweet in its own way. I want you to look at it with me. And this is sort of the backdrop behind this command. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew, God knew that he was going to redeem them. God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. Same thing happened and you cried out to God for salvation. And this is the God that sent his son to die for our sin, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to step in and to rescue us, to deliver us from all the chaos and confusion and lostness that we suffered from, all the delusions that somehow we could earn, our, earn God's love or buy God's favor. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a purpose. He knew what he was going to do with us and with Israel. And yet, 
And yet, them, Israel, having received all of these blessings, this incredible rescue, and not just once, but several times, and being sustained in the desert, manna from heaven, the quail, protection from enemies all around, constantly forgot God. Other things became their priority, their comfort, their will, their stuff. Just like us, we live here in Silicon Valley. The cost of living is high. We're pulled in all kinds of crazy directions. We're trying to survive, trying to take care of our children. And sometimes, in the midst of all the busyness, we lose sight of God. We can't afford to do that. We have to make it the priority in the forefronts of our minds. We can't let any person, place, or thing distract us away from keeping our eye on God as we march toward glory. And yet, that's what happens. It says in the slide that's coming up in Joshua 2.10, but it's actually Judges 2.10. And Judges 2.10, after all this rescue, after all the conquest of Canaan, they move into the promised land, they set up household, and what happens? And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for less than a generation. Think about that. That's incredible. There arose another group of their children. And this is what happens with us. When God is no longer our priority, we evangelize our children, our friends, our neighbors with the priority that we now serve. We point them away from God to this distraction, and they learn by example what really matters. That's what happened with Israel. And it didn't just happen once. It happened again and again throughout the book of Judges. In Judges 8, we read later on that they did not remember the Lord their God and all he had done for them. And eventually, God intervenes because God loved them and he disciplines those he loves as a father disciplines his dear children. And eventually, he sent them into exile. He destroyed their nation and he sent them. They were carried away and taken into Babylon where he promised to rescue them again in 70 years to send them back to Israel. And you remember the sermon we had, the message we did where we discussed stop and think. It was Haggai chapter 1. They've come back from exile after 70 years in exile. God brought them back. Ezra and Nehemiah, against all odds, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They cleared the foundation of the temple, and then the people got distracted by stuff. After all they had been through, after all they had suffered, what does it say? In Haggai, it tells us that they were doing all this stuff and they quit working on the temple, the foundation that God had laid in our hearts. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we turn away from God, we forget him and we chase all kinds of priorities. That's what happened to Israel. And look what happened. God, God just thwarted all their projects, all their ambitions, and all their distractions. Haggai 1, 9 through 10. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while, you busy your, while each of you busies himself with his own house. We have to make God the priority. We have to keep God the priority. Because when we don't, we get distracted. And when we get distracted, there's chaos. We have divided loyalties, conflicting priorities. We're pulled in all kinds of directions. And it creates uncertainty in our homes. It creates uncertainty and upheaval in the culture where we cease to be an influence and we start looking like the world. And people aren't sure what a real Christian is or what Christianity stands for. When we emphasize the wrong priorities, we forget God and we allow chaos to come back into our lives and take hold. And the consequences are great. And and you know... It happens to everybody. I mean, we think about the clothes that we're going to wear. We think about buying groceries, the house. 
We think about all this stuff and we forget that this life is short and eternity is long and we stop taking the long view and we stop laying up treasure in heaven and we stop and we try to serve two masters knowing that we're going to love one and neglect the other. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 31 and 6, 33. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So he says, you know, don't worry about the wrong priorities. Instead, do what? Verse 33. But seek first, make the number one priority, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. See, what happens is when we lose sight of God, we think we're God. We think we are our providers. That We think we are our own saviors. We think that if we don't get this done, nobody else will. And we forget that God is there, that God has raised us up to do the works that he's prepared beforehand, that he's taken all of these things into account. And so we we get off track. We become distracted, discouraged. Chaos ensues. Our relationships get all out of whack. You know how we talked about a minute ago that there are two types of relationships in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are about the vertical relationship with God. The next six about the horizontal relationships with one another. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when one of those relationships gets skewed, so do all the others. You can't be out of relationship with God and in right relationship with the people around you. And you can't be out of relationship with the people around you and be in right relationship with God. That's why we have to make God the priority. What does he say about this? What does he say about that? He's my God. The culture says do this, but I have to do that. And when I don't, chaos. When Jesus came to earth to seek and save that which was lost... During his temptation, Satan said, look, let's be practical. If you're the son of God, do this or do that. You can do all this stuff. Tell you what, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the nations of the earth. Be real. You don't have to go through all this. You can do what you want to do. You're free to do what you want to do. How many times do we hear that? Come on, don't be such, don't be such a religious fanatic. But what is, what is Jesus' response in Matthew 4.10? Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. There's no room in our lives for any priority to get in the way of our relationship with God. We have to make him the priority. You take your thumb right now and hold it up in front of your face and look at me. And if you get your thumb close enough, all you can see is your thumb and not me. And I'm a whole lot bigger than your thumb. You lose perspective when you have the wrong priorities. And displacing God causes difficult, difficult, difficult things to happen in your lives. That's why you really have to look around. You know, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. Any priority that gets between you and God, you have to detach and discard for your sake and the sake of the people you love. Which brings us to our second law, our second rule for life. And that is this, accept no substitutes. Accept no substitutes. No one and nothing can take God's place in your life and do in you and through you and with you and for you what he can do. There's only one God and he's it. There's only one Savior and he's provided all you need for now and for eternity. Where do we see except no substitutes? Look with me at Exodus 20 verses 4 through 6. This is a little longer. You shall not make yourself a carved image, the New American Standard says, an idol or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down and serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
Pastor Keith Crosby, on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Thank you.